Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze and interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. We are going back in time once again to Sundance, where we uh, interviewed uh, four, 49 guests? More than that. <laughs> we had 49 <laughs> interviews, 100 million guests. That was just during the morning. Yeah, that was just the first morning. What, do, what should we call it? Throwback Sunday Thursdays? Throwback Sundays? All right, anyway. She's trying on. to do Sundance into Thursday, but that's just not that's working. That's just not going to work. All yeah. right, fine. Carry it's too on. late to come up with that. Now. Carry yeah. on. It's too late. Um, uh, this episode, we are throwing it back once again to Sundance, um, to our 49-plus interviews. This one is special because we have two winners on this show. Other uh, than us, for once. Okay. We have director of Clemency, Chinoya Chukwu, and also the director of Jawline, Liza Mandeloup. Yeah, it was really exciting because before uh, we had interviewed them before they had won these prizes, and they're both two very different stories, um, but Clemency has won the Sundance U.S. Grand Jury Prize for Dramatics, and Jawline has won the U.S. Documentary Special Jury Award for Emerging Filmmaker. And uh, we, we didn't know this at the time, but they're both very different stories, but somehow they're connected in uh, the study of the American psyche, for better or worse. So enjoy the interviews. You're listening to the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman. I'm here with my co-host from Bitch Talk, Aaron Lynn and Angela Tabora. And this segment, we're going to be talking about the film Clemency. We have with us Chinoya Chuku, the director-writer of the film, and Bronwyn Cornelius, the producer of the film. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Okay, we like to start off these segments by giving our director of the film the opportunity to introduce our listeners to the film. So describe Clemency for us. So Clemency is the story of a prison warden's psychological and emotional down spiral as she prepares to execute a man on death row. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> light, light film. There we go. Yeah. It's very light. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> happy. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a musical comedy. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, let's start this way. How did you discover Bernadine, and why did you think I need to make a movie about her? Well, it really started the morning after Troy Davis was executed. Mm. Uh, Troy Davis uh, was a black man who was executed in September 2011 in Georgia, and hundreds of thousands of people around the world were protesting against his execution, including a group of retired wardens and directors of corrections. And uh, part of their appeal to the governor for clemency was not just on Troy's potential innocence, but it was also speaking to the emotional and psychological consequences killing Troy would have on correction staff. So the morning after he was executed, um, as I was grappling with my feelings and about mm. his execution, as so many people were, I asked myself, if all of us were kind of navigating these emotional complexities, what must it be like for the people whose livelihoods are tied to the taking of human life? And so that really was the seed that was planted. And I really, uh, two years later in 2013, I started a very deep dive into um, researching this world and capital punishment and the ecosystem of humanities that are connected to capital punishment uh, specifically, but um, incarceration in general. And Bronwyn, how did you connect with Chinoya on the film? 
We actually were put in touch by a woman by the name of Mimi Plausch at the Chicago International Film Festival, and we had both had features that had um, played there in the past, and when Chinoya reached out to her looking for a producer for her new project, Clemency, Mimi knew what a supporter of female filmmakers I was and put us in touch. And um, yeah, sent this, sent over the script, and that was about four and a half years ago. And it took, I was in production at the time on something, but the script really stuck with me. And so, mm -hmm. as soon as I was finished with that, reached out to Chinoy and was like, "What's happening with it?" And we met, and and here we are. It's been an awesome journey. Can I, Chinoy? Oh. Can you talk about? Let's, um, yeah. And here I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on my co-host okay. uh, as she starts. So I will hand it off to you. No, I just wanted to really quickly go back to the research that you were doing, Chinoy. Can you talk more about that? Was there a lot of research, or? Oh, it was a deep. <laughs> deep, deep dive mm -hmm. into a lot. I mean, it started with secondary research and where I, I interviewed several of those retired wardens and directors of corrections who had protested against Troy Davis's execution. Mm -hmm. I spoke with several death row lawyers. I visited some prisons and death row facilities. I um, mm -hmm. read every book and article imaginable, but that was just a secondary research. Mm -hmm. The deep dive really came in when I moved to Ohio and volunteered on a clemency case for Tyra Patterson, mm -hmm. who was serving a life sentence for crimes she did not commit. Tyra got out over a year ago. Oh, great. Um, yeah. But uh, I worked really closely with her legal team, and I then um, volunteered on a lot of other clemency cases for about 13 women, mm -hmm. and uh, talked with a lot, many more wardens and chaplains and lawyers and activists and organizers. and, and and um, all, all kinds of people in the correction staff. And that was, this was a period of four years. Um, and uh, I, 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 as a result of that, I, I developed a passion for advocating for the humanity of people who are incarcerated. And that led me to create a film program yeah. uh, where I, I taught women who are incarcerated um, how to make their own short films from script to screen. And so all of that really grounded the film in a level of authenticity mm -hmm. um, and humanity. Yeah. I love to ask filmmakers and uh, about their moment where they go, "Oh, this is the movie. This is the movie I was hoping to make, or this is the movie I wasn't expecting to make." And you know, sometimes it happens in the scripting process. Sometimes it happens in the filming process. Sometimes during the you know, in the editing bay. When was that moment for you for this film? My my, this is the moment. This is the film that I really want to make. Moment. Um, it really came. So I was always really clear about the kind of film I wanted to make from the script stage. And I feel like Brahman and I were very um, dedicated and focused on that vision. But there was a moment that I remember when we were um, in, a, in a color grading session <laughs> and you know, I've watched the film a billion times <laughs> by that point. But this was the first time that I really allowed myself to just watch it without taking a copious amount of notes and you know being so meticulous about every single angle and everything and i heard the dialogue for the first time and it i and it really i realized that i realized how I remembered the place I was in when I was writing the dialogue. I remembered the place I was in when I first had the idea for this film. I just, I, I, I just remembered the genesis of it, and I'm looking at this film, and I'm like, you know what? This is, this is the film I wanted to make from the beginning, mm -hmm. and it was just that first moment I had. I was like, wow, this is it. This is really it. <laughs> very know? cool. Very cool. And Bronwyn, um, being a producer, having the title of producer. 
um, can mean a number of different things. Yes, it can. Um, <laughs> different hats. So, so I would love for you to talk about um, uh, literally what you did as producer to help make this film become a reality. And then, Chinoya, I want to follow up by having you talk about um, the assistance that Bronwyn was that doesn't fall into those obvious categories. Mm -hmm. Where she saved your butt making the movie. <laughs> All right, so Bronwyn, you start. Okay. Um, well, definitely, I mean, yes, the, and there are many different types of producers, and I think that I was, I'm very committed to sort of being a script-to-screen producer and being involved in all aspects of it, because it's very important to me working closely with the director and ensuring that you're working to protect that vision and that we were aligned in that vision of getting it onto the screen. Um, and fortunately, I had a fantastic partner to, to do that with. So when we started from the script stage, we also developed the script together and really got that to a point I was involved in the casting and with getting mm. um, Alfre Woodard in, attached to the project and, and fortunately she committed pretty early on. She was attached for a couple of years because she really believed in the, in the project and has been a, a wonderful partner on the project as well. And so then also in putting together the initial budgets and schedules and finding locations because we wanted to shoot in an actual facility. Um, which we were fortunate enough to find one. It was a jail, not a prison, but it at least allowed us the appropriate environment to to film in, rather than having to build sort of all of, you know the various sets. And um, then through the, obviously the the financing and overall packaging and teaming teaming up, and then getting a sales agent involved. Mm -hmm. And of course, through before that, we had the whole production and editing and post, and then the sales agent, and then we've been fortunate enough to sort of end up where we are. But it's really an all-encompassing journey, and there are a few producers that do that, and sort of all the way through. And it's, um, for, as I said, fortunately, I had a terrific partner to do that with. All right, Chinoya, now you're up. <laughs> Pressure. Well, I, my partnership collaboration with Bronwyn from the moment we first communicated has really been divine. And I mean that in every mm. sense of the word. Aww. I mean, <laughs> we have a really good professional relationship, but, I th but what I think really translates in the, um, through the film is we have a really good like kind of soulful connection where we really have a lot of the same kind of guttural instincts um, the same um, kind of level of integrity as people, um, the, the same kind of commitment to um, women and telling women's stories, and um, that she created a safe space for me to be who I am in, in, all of, in all of what that means beyond me as a filmmaker and an artist, but as a woman, mm. as a woman of color, mm. as a human being, um, and so that that you, I think you feel that in the film that I, I was this producer Bronwyn created a safe space for me and for everybody else on set, and so we were able to do our best work. So I'm really fortunate, really, really fortunate. All right, oh, I and love that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Let me breathe for a minute. But um, Chinoya, being a social justice advocate and, and being so emotionally connected to this subject. How did that emotion and connection 
affect your filmmaking? Did you have to separate yourself from that at times in order to tell the story in, honestly, uh, or, or did it charge you forward? And, and in doing so, how did, how did making this film change any preconceived notions, if it did, or, or strengthen? Well, I, well, from the writing stage as a writer, um, I, really tr I, I, I really allow myself to feel deeply for each of the characters. So I remember writing the script to Clemency crying. You know, and I'm mm. really putting myself in the emotional place of all of the characters. I allow myself to go there. Once I'm done with the draft, then I'm really good at emotionally compartmentalizing because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know we got done. we have yeah, work yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but because I have to make myself so emotionally available when I write, it made it was challenging at times having to while we were particularly like in pre-production having to revise parts of the script having to rework because i had to go back to the emotional place to revise or to rewrite or to you know mm -hmm. and so that was really challenging i remember there was one day in pre-production um, it was pretty close to pr pr uh, production. I had to talk with one of the wardens about getting the language right for one of the scenes with the warden and it happened to be about talking about protocol and how to strap somebody it, it was just oh. it was heavy and it was a hard conversation because I had to go back to that emotional place to write rewrite the dialogue during the the height of pre-production when I had all these like logistical things I needed to take care of and so that was difficult going back and forth mm -hmm. um, but th this process of, of research that has led me to a deepened sense of social justice advocacy has been transformative it has mm -hmm. expanded my capacity for um, being able to not write people off and define them by their worst possible acts. It has mm. really expanded my capacity for um, compassion and justice and mercy uh, and has, has really rooted me in all aspects of my life. Fantastic. Thank you. Wow. Well, it'll be, it'll be wonderful to see the reaction the film mm -hmm. gets here at Sundance. Again, we've been talking about the film Clemency with uh, Chinoya Chuku, who is the writer-director of the film, and Bronwyn Konoyas, the producer of the film. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank, thank, you, so thank much. you. Thank you. You're listening to the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman, here with the Bitch Talk co-hosts Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. This segment, we're going to talk about the film Jawline. We have the director, Liza Mandeloup, with us. Liza, welcome to the show. Thank you. This, we start this off by letting our, our director uh, inform our viewers what her film is about. Um, so the film is about um, this boy from rural Tennessee who drops out of high school to broadcast his life on uh, social media. And uh, he becomes this positive role model to a lot of bullied teenage girls who feel abandoned by the men in their life. And um, they fall in love with him. And uh, he gets thrown into this live broadcast ecosystem and sort of struggles to exist in it. You, you know, some, sometimes <laughs> I will watch a, a, a film or something like this, and I will feel so entirely old. And, and, <laughs> Me and, too, John. And, and, Me and, too. And, 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 and this film, as I go, I had no idea this existed. I had no idea any of this what was going on. But uh, it's like any subculture. Well, yeah, but you know, it, it, but then as, as I watched it, it reminded me. Of you know of the days of Tiger Beat and Bop and the Big Bopper and and mm -hmm. all those th those things and 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 I was like fascinated as the film uh, continued like going well now it's like we've reached the point where we don't even ha they don't even have to be singers they don't even have to be on a TV show they just have to be 
Right. It's mm. like live with me, you know, live mm -hmm. my life with me. And that's sort of what they're offering. It's not, it's not a talent. It's sort of like experience me. And, um, and that's the, that's the exchange that's happening, which is why I made the film. Cause I thought that was so bizarre. Right. 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 And, 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 I, and, I, and I was also cursing the Kardashians as I was watching. Going, <laughs> Me too. This is a direct line yeah. from, you know, from, from, you know, from, from that whole thing. Phenomenon and Paris Hilton. To this. And Paris Hilton. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, exactly. Um, but let's talk about the filmmaking. Uh, how, did you, how did you come upon this topic? Mm -hmm. And then how did you decide to make a film about it? Um, yeah, so I knew I wanted to make a film about teenagers at, around love and like what feeling like you're in love is like for a teenager today. And uh, obviously against the landscape of, you know, the technology as an extension of yourself. Um, so I started doing some research and I found these things called meet and greets where girls mm. were paying a lot of money to meet and like literally just meet, just hug and, and look at their, um, their online crush. And when we went to a couple meet and greets, they were insane. Like completely insane, and there's they're in the film some mm -hmm. of the meet yeah. mm -hmm. but the first time I went to one, I I was like I have to unpack what's happening here. Like how are these girls freaking out about these mm -hmm. guys? These guys seem like just your regular average teenage boy from you know middle America right. or wherever they're from, um, and I didn't really understand like what the origin was, and so I started looking around, and the first thing I did was I made a short with the fangirls mm -hmm. and um, we followed these three fangirls who are all um who are all in love with the same boy and they go to meet him and um and then i through spending so much time with fangirls i kind of became obsessed myself with getting access to the boys <laughs> uh -oh. i was like i want to know what these you know i became like this start weird, chatting with them yeah where i started following all them and like watching them and being like what what's the what you know why these and then through the process of casting i felt like i was like a fangirl being like oh he's you know i hope he dms me back like well and, and that's the thing to me that's so crazy about this whole phenomenon is you say love right i'm, I'm putting it in quotation because obviously as a young kid I had crushes I had mm -hmm. posters up on my wall but it wasn't to the level where I was chatting with them and so now these girls are going to grow up with this concept of oh I need a perfect guy like so and so but they're not really in a real relationship with them so they're going to have this false idea of what the perfect man is exactly. that's not real or even worse they the more that they become obsessed with um, the boys that are not in their life, the more they disassociate mm -hmm. with their actual right. life. Right, it's an escape. Yeah, yeah. so it, they're all. Everybody in the film is some sort of escapist. Like the boy mm -hmm. that we follow, Austin, he's mm -hmm. trying to escape his hometown. Right. Mm -hmm. The girls are trying to escape family troubles, troubles with um, at school with being bullied, mm -hmm. and uh, it's sort of the whole thing that um, I think everybody experiences is the more screen time, the more anxiety you get, and um, mm -hmm. I think that this is a world where like screen time takes over. And I think that in the film, there's like a lot of these teens are really anxious and our main character suffers from, you know, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the sort of the thing that I, th I hope people kind of can um, understand. That's like what is something that's happening mm -hmm. that maybe they if you're someone who has no idea about this world, it's kind of like um, the secret lives of teenagers. They're always mm -hmm. a little bit mysterious when you're not one of them. Mm -hmm. And um, the goal was to sort of be like, well, this is what's happening right now. Well, let's also talk mm -hmm. about um, a, a, another uh, character. I want to say oh a character boy. guy uh -oh, that you focus say. on, and and that's our, our young manager. Uh -oh. Um, oh boy! 
And uh, it was, it was, it was it Lou Perlman? Is that the name of the guy who's manager of the Backstreet Boys? Yes. Orlando, <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so, th th so this is Very good, Lou, John. Lou, Lou Perlman 2.0. Um, and he yeah. was cracking me up. I mean, he, he is, is a character he's to the nth we'll degree. Say, I wasn't laughing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was. I found him hilarious. I think he has some great insight. Talk, I mean, talk about yeah. finding him and following him. Yeah. I mean, well, Michael's someone who's always seeking his own business opportunities. Right. So we actually were following, um, we went to this thing called uh, VidCon, and uh, we were following people. And, you know, he could tell we weren't like teenagers and a more like, and a, a more realistic film crew and um he was like what are you guys doing and I, I was like I, I explained to him what we were doing and it was sort of like I felt like he was pitching himself to oh. me well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I was like I love this <laughs> this is amazing and then as we got to talking um we always wanted a manager character in the film it was kind of like I always saw the film as a triangle where it was like the 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 boy that's trying to get famous, the girls, the chorus of girls, and the manager, and that's the ecos—that's the ecosystem. If you put it all together, they all feed each other. Um, so we were kind of looking for a manager character at the time, and he just embodied uh, the modern teen. He is a self-starter. He is like, I have everything I need. I'm gonna, you know, become my own business. Um, and I just thought he was really forward-thinking and. Um, he is very entertaining as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and what did you think about influencers going into this project and now coming out of it? I think that um, I didn't... I think that people... Um, I didn't realize that there's actually such a... Like a, a, a whole world of people behind one influencer. Mm -hmm. That there's a whole plan, a, like a market for it, and um, it's uh, very calculated. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, when social media first came around, we... It, it was very a very organic thing, like, you know, sharing pictures of myself and meeting people, maybe. And I think that now it's become this business strategy, and there's, like, so much of it is a market now. And um, I think I learned that, you know, behind every sort of influencer is... Um, is, a, is a business strategy of sorts. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's also links back to, I mean, this film is very specifically in the live broadcast world, mm -hmm. so it's, a, it's it's its own, and when I say subculture, I, it's very mainstream what we filmed, but it is like this subculture within mainstream culture, if that makes any sense, because mm -hmm. it's very specific to getting famous off of live broadcasting apps, where the emotions are different, because you're spending so much time with this person, and you expect them to be there all day, mm -hmm. and you're living with them, and the, the they actually, the slogans behind live broadcasting is like, live with me, and so I think that the emotions that come from that are just very different, and you rely on this person, you depend on this person, you think that person is gonna be there, and you hear the girls say that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you also hear the boys say, when I'm not there, I lose followers. Right. right, yeah. And so it's a very different thing than like if you were to just, you know, you make videos or, or you know, have like um, sort of like some like model-like page on Instagram, or it's just, it's, it's the emotions behind it are very different. All right, I also wanted to talk about really quickly about Austin himself. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I'm watching this and I'm, I'm, and I'm not thinking highly of Austin um, as I'm watching it. Um, when, when he goes through his, his what, what is now like a very scripted like wrap up to his broadcast mm -hmm. of like, you know, yeah. don't, don't, t don't let people stop you from your dreams and, and whatever. And they, they, <laughs> reach for the yeah, stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. reach for yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that. Storms that, don't that. last forever. Yeah. yeah. Yes, ex yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. And, and, and so, you know, and, and, and so, 
frankly, it's like I'm, it's like driving me up the wall. That 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 kid. Um, you didn't like him, uh, you know. But but then. Just as you just as you said, you know, when the girls are talking and and they're talking about the fact that you know, you know, th- these are not the cheerleaders, these are not the beauty queens, mm-hmm. these are not the, mm-hmm. the you know the, the most popular. Um, and I'm going, uh, you know, he he wouldn't be my 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 guy, you know, delivering the message. But if if there's you know if if they're getting something out of this, then maybe I can forgive Austin. Talk about your as you because you live with it, you know, watching yeah. this guy. I mean, I think that. Um, it's just like what these girls want is they're in high they're in high school and some middle school, like early high school or middle school, and they just want the boys in their school to give them that sort of nice interaction, complimentary. They want to be told they're beautiful. They want to be asked, "What are you doing later? How was your day?" Like something as so simple as "How was your day?" is something when you're like a lonely teenage girl that you just like long for someone to ask you, and um, I think that he embodies that like just your you know your regular teenage boy that could be at their high school and um i think that he uh is doing something that um that they really crave and i think that when he gets thrown into the business side of it Mm -hmm. i don't think he understands like the exploitation part of it Mm -hmm. i think that he actually was like also lonely and he mm-hmm. also yeah. wanted to um, be like, you know, have more friends out of his town and mm-hmm. stuff. So I really felt like his intentions were really genuine. And um, I think that, you know, the, the whole world is um, a little bit like um, hard to digest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that he was definitely like um, a really genuine person within that world. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have to you don't have to like. <laughs> well, I, I, have to, I have to tell you this, the segment where he's he's reading the contract. And and, oh, and, and, yeah. and reading some of the words, uh, that that was that was just like a golden moment. I I, I think uh, for, for the for the film where you go, uh huh, yes, exactly. There's <laughs> rubber, yeah, it's 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 the real world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I think that um, that's actually the kind of the hardest part is that these are teens yeah. that are they the one guy even says in the film, this is your job. Mm-hmm. You have to go to work every day. Yeah. And it's like most teens and also like young teens don't so they're opting out of school to do this and then being thrown into with all these managers who are just businessmen or, mm-hmm. or and so it's definitely like there's a lot of room for error well again the the title of the film is jawline we've been talking with liza mandaloop uh the director of the film and it is it is an absolutely fascinating look into a world <laughs> that you're likely have never experienced thank you for being here thank you for having me this was great Noya Chukwu from Clemency and Liza Mandaloop from Jawline, both winners, not only in the Sundance book, but our books as well. And some crazy and, and talented and, and emerging filmmakers, female filmmakers. Right. So keep a lookout for them. Such an honor to speak with them. And I'm, I'm so excited that that ladies are coming up and winning these awards and, and getting this recognition. And ladies of all colors, all ages, everything. It, it was really great speaking with all of them. And we will have more of these types of interviews for the weeks to come. I mean, we got interviews. <laughs> for days. Out, we have interviews out the ass. Out the, out the ass. That's the phrase. Out the ah. ass. <laughs> Refer to uh, Sundance. Uh, 322. <laughs> 322. Okay. Uh, anyway. If you want to know the origin of out the ass. And if you want to know how. <laughs> or the non-origin. I fucked up. Whatever. Yeah. Well, the best is that Ange was so 
so like what is it? The, I was certain that not that's even the certain, phrase. just like I'm gonna kill everyone because this is right. We're like, yeah, it's not right, but it's fine. You, you Anyways, just kept using it wrong. Yeah, but it's out the ass. No, coke up the ass. If I said it right, I was using it right, but I just had a couple words wrong. Small words. If you uh, if you use different examples, I probably I might have bought into up the ass. I tried it. Doesn't really work. She did with coke, which didn't make sense. Tried food, food up the ass, chips. chips. No. (laughs) Why is this? Let's talk about clemency and jawline. Yeah, congratulations, congratulations, ladies. We hope you're back on the Bitch Talk podcast again. uh, Please, you are going to have earfuls of Sunday's interviews, but they are all great, and we met so many great people, and we are so thankful for um, that opportunity. So. In the meantime, go to bitchtalkpodcast.com to find our socials and all our episodes and our bios and our pictures. And bitch, please.